hello, and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. In this episode of Metal Movers, we're here to talk about the global pig iron market, which has been thrown into disarray following uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, I'm here today. Um, my name is Blake Herdick, um, uh, editorial manager at Argus Media for our metals uh, team in Houston. And I'm joined today by Zach Schumacher, our deputy editor for America's Metals. Hey, Zach. Hey, Blake. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Excited to talk about this market, which has been kind of wild recently. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really been upended um, in multiple ways. And so kind of what what we hope to do today is is really go over um, where we were, you know, in the market February 24th. when the the conflict started in Ukraine and how that's evolved since because, you know, basically we went from having Russia and Ukraine, 60% of the supply coming to the U.S. Um, basically evaporating because mm-hmm. of either Ukraine being taken out of the market um, and also, you know, there's this kind of secondary thing of sanctions and financial restrictions on the Russian volumes. Um and it's been pretty wild since. So, I mean, I guess if you want to set the stage on kind of what 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 did we see happen in the market, um, you know, immediately following the invasion and the aftermath, and maybe that would bring us kind of to today and moving looking forward. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think it was a pretty predictable response when you see 60% of your supply of something essentially go off the table. Um, you know, prices spiked for – Really, about the, the three four weeks following the in, the invasion, um, and hit very high levels, you know, relative to where they were. I think we maxed out somewhere just shy of a thousand dollars a metric ton. Um, whereas just before the invasion, we were about half that, closer to to five hundred five fifty. Um, and and obviously the market was struggling to sort of wrap its mind around where the U.S. primarily being being the big consumer. Uh, was going to source its its pig iron to feed the the EAF market. Um, when we look at just pricing since then, I think we've kind of plateaued um, really around those levels, and, and we haven't really shuffled much out either up or down um, in any direction. And certainly, there seems to be some weakness now, kind of creeping in as the the mathematics of kind of where supply is going to come from what the general landscape is going to look like, I think has kind of been getting a little bit more firm and clear for the consumers here. And as alternatives have kind of been tapped to their, to their greatest extent. So we're, we're beginning to see the signs that, Hey, we may have maxed out. There may be some level just underneath this where the market is comfortable. Um, and we're certainly, I think seeing that in the general landscape of the Ferris market, which I think is playing a role, um, you know, feeding into this as well. So, um, but it certainly has been a, a roller coaster for mills domestically. Um, there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, literal logistics and possibility of getting Ukrainian pig iron. Um, to no one's surprise, you know, obviously a lot of damaged infrastructure and, um, people aren't able to come to work. Um, but like you said, um, when you look at what's happened in, with Russia being sanctioned, um, Obviously, reputational risk of of buying and importing Russian pig iron here from the U.S. perspective, anyways, uh, has been also kind of taken off. But that has been um, the the latter part of that buying from Russia has kind of been a 
a slow process of, of breaking addiction um, for, for U.S. mills here, I guess I could say. Um, and you know, we've even been tracking some vessels here somewhat recently as, you know, kind of stragglers, um, despite efforts to, to cut Russia out entirely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think that speaks to the fact that there isn't a ready made replacement for this tonnage. Um, and I mean, the sanctions situation seems to be kind of murky by design almost a mm-hmm. little bit. There's been specific individuals that are heads of corporations or companies associated um, with certain steelmakers that are clearly um, under sanctions now. Um, but at least there's at least a couple of Russian suppliers that, you know, from a legal standpoint, seem clear to do with. But you've definitely seen. Um, you know, most of the domestic U.S. steelmakers make kind of public pronouncements that they're not going to be purchasing Russian pig iron, which is it's created a lot of, um, you know, you said reputational risk. We've reported on this a bunch, um, but it's interesting seeing, you know, we, we've just there's, there's at least one vessel en route that sailed um, in April. So well after, you know, the conflict broke out, um, you know, that's still happening. But was that a contract? you know, purchased done ahead of time or a spot purchased done after the outbreak of the war. Uh, either way, I'm not sure how, you know, publicly that would be viewed. Um, but I think, you know, at least in the in the long term, you've seen steelmakers make a lot of uh, steps to make long-term alternatives. You have, you know, Steel Dynamics saying they've booked out into 2023 um, from alternate suppliers such as Brazil, um, India. Um, you know, we've had the rise of, you know, Basically, steelmakers increasing what they're calling upgraded or low copper shred, uh, shredded scrap, um, to help in their melt mixes. So people are moving stuff around. Um, you know, I think the big question hanging out there though still is, can you truly replace this tonnage, um, via other means? Um, and that, that's, I think that's going to be a, a, a defining characteristic of this market moving forward. Um, yeah. And I, I, and I want to ask you, do you, do you foresee, you know, we've saw China, which, has for the last, you know, during at least the pandemic, become a, a competitor to the U.S. in terms of buying global pig iron, uh, particularly out of Brazil. But then we've also we've seen China selling pig iron to the United States um, in the aftermath of of Russia and Ukraine. Um, is that something you know we you expect to continue, or is it kind of opportunistic? You know, I, they certainly have the capacity, blast furnace wise. Um, it would it would be a change of direction from where they're they're currently trading pig iron domestically, of course, but um, it, it seems more opportunistic than anything else, um, just because of the way a you know freight wise it's it's something that they have to massively overcome. Um, it's not easy to get to New Orleans from most of the Chinese ports. Um, but I think B, their focus obviously is just very different. Um, it, it seems like when prices are at $900 a ton, most people who have excess pig iron capacity are willing to sell. And that just happens to include a lot of China because they do. Um, it, it's alternatives like Brazil, um, domestic pig iron is kind of being talked about. So I, I think like you said, it, the, while it gets less clear over time, it also looks more clear in certain respects that, um, you know, the traditional sources like Brazil or maybe sourcing domestically are probably going to come into light or, um, uh, the low copper shred that's now being kind of really forcefully pushed or, you know, discussed by mills here is going to become more attractive given kind of logistics and, and where China's at for their own production. Um, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, and I think one of the other kind of things that's, uh, been discussed, you know, kind of quietly and then, uh, Cleveland Cliffs is, uh, CEO, uh, um, loudly proclaimed it on their earnings call, um, uh, just this week about the potential for transshipment of Russian pig iron, um, via other countries to make it into the United States to kind of skirt some of these, um, you know, risk factors that might keep mills from buying that tonnage. Um, you know, I think he raised a couple of points, including, um, you know, the U.S. revoked the most favored nation status of Russia, which for some some um, commodities dramatically increased the price um, for tariffs. I mean, um, the magnesium went up. Like, yes. Uh, uh, you know, doubled, basically. Um, yeah. But, you know, it was only a dollar a ton for pig iron. Um, so he was kind of calling that out for being kind of based on dated trade trade policies. Um, but also he pretty, pretty overtly said, you know, that they're fully expecting, you know, pig iron to be routed via other countries, including China, India, and Brazil, which, you know, I think it's going to be something pretty fascinating to watch in terms of volume wise. It seems like it would be very hard to track, um, considering, you know, Brazil exports millions of tons of pig iron a year itself. Um, you know, but I, I think uh, it speaks to a larger issue that people are searching under every rock to find iron units in this environment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, and it does like the potential people could get up to some, you know, creative kind of workarounds here to, you know, at least legally import this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's something that immediately spiked, I think, on people's radar. Um post you know invasion how this was going to get sorted out um and and there's no doubt that i think you know domestic consumers would prefer to have russia as an available opportunity for them to buy pig iron from especially as new capacity ads are coming online um the us is set to add you know um i think it was over 15 million short tons of total capacity and i think something like 10 million tons of which we're going to be uh, sheet, so that's a lot more EAF, uh, sorry, uh, uh, prime and clean iron unit intensive. Um, and so they're going to need more pig iron, respectively. And so it's a problem that's only going to get worse from that point of view. Um, and so it only incentivizes getting, like you said, fairly creative with your solutions. Um, and I think it's going to be an ongoing challenge in order to understand where the market, where supply is originally, originally you know, coming from when you, when you net back something. But, um, if I think one of the things that mills are going to have to overcome if you're trying to buy cheap, like I said, is if you're going to transshipment to, from Russia to China per se, or Russia to India is you're, you're adding logistics hurdles for yourself. So it's going to be a dollar and cents game. Um, I think it'll be something that bills are going to have to weigh as time goes on. Um, and who knows what's going to happen with the conflict and, and sanctions, too. Uh, this problem could completely unravel. Um, it feels like, anyways, with the way things are, um, you know, so uncertain that I'm sure that would make things easier for them. But at the same time, who knows? It's, it's incredibly tough to say right now. Yeah, I do feel like, you know, obviously, U.S. companies appear to be exhausting every alternative to having to maybe entertain those thoughts currently. Mm. Um, and I, I think you've hit the nail on the head, which I think with the long-term implications of this are, it wasn't just what we were consuming as, you know, the United States was consuming um, pre, uh, you know, the breakout of, of, you know, Russia invading Ukraine. 
it's what we're supposed what we're supposed to be consuming going forward because all of this new EAF based sheet capacity. Um, I mean, I'm sure the economics of that, a big part of that was pig iron, um, to make, to make the, these numbers work, to make the quality of steel that they need. Um, with this massive shift, we are seeing more and more towards EAF based sheet production. Um, and I, I do think it's interesting seeing, um, you know, some, this has hastened, I think, some other kind of, uh, moves for alternatives. Um, for instance, U.S. Steel moving forward with putting in a pig iron caster um, at their Gary Works, which they think will be able to supply most of the needs uh, for the expansion they're doing the Big River Steel in Arkansas. They're big. It's going to be like a mega mill um, EAF mm-hmm. there. Um, and then we saw, you know, Vostalpin and Corpus Christi, um, their HBI plant um, put up for sale or the majority of it and ArcelorMittal um, kind of coming out of left field uh, to buy an 80% stake in that. Um, with the eyes on supplying their new EAF um, in Alabama. That'll be starting up in the next couple of years. So you're seeing, you know, the chess pieces move around here to position a little bit um, to get around this. And you know, I think one of the, you know, maybe the potential things to look out for is more additional, you know, North American pig iron casting capacity putting in, into place. Uh, but then you have the other kind of, the other side of the coin is, you know, I think a, a, a Cleveland Cliffs out here doesn't have much interest, you know, at least publicly in putting in pig iron capacity to uh, help out its competitors, right? I think they're enjoying this. They're kind of low, they're low cost uh, production from an integrated standpoint. Yeah, they've, uh, I mean, they obviously operate their, their 2 million ton a year Toledo HBI plant, but that um, for all intents and, and purposes is a non third party sale operation. So, um, you know, they, they certainly could have tap that opportunity <laughs> back in early March, probably to, you know, reap the rewards, at least from, from some mills perspectives. Um, it's, yeah, no, it is certainly incentivized uh, a level of vertical integration that we've seen on, on the scrap mergers, you know, scrap yard mergers and acquisitions point of view. Now looking at the sort of flip side of that coin, um, and um, everyone I think is kind of scrambling to, shore up their supply, whether it be, yeah, locking in long terms like we saw with SDI um, and probably going to, to the, you know, next alternative, Brazil. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, buying up new assets like that, it, there's only a certain amount available. So I think the, the question then is who's going to build something. Cliffs is certainly well positioned given, you know, their – uh, integrated point of view and how much of the integrated market they actually control domestically. But, um, the big guys like SDI and, and Nucor, even though they have DRI plans for Nucors and, you know, in Trinidad and, um, in Louisiana certainly has to look appetizing right now to, to supplement and increase their capacity, even if it just means they're selling into a merchant market here, which, um, for a lot of smaller, you know, independent players, we're largely relying on um, bigger vessels being bought by mills like Nucor and SDI to afford them the opportunity for their little smaller chunk of, of that volume. So it's very, you know, the, the world's an oyster here in terms of probably the bigger players and some of the smaller guys are going to have to kind of react to that if they haven't shored up some some low copper shred availability or some other alternative, which I'm sure is more attractive to them than probably building a pig iron plant uh, financially and, and logistically. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think one thing, maybe we can close on this kind of just note. Uh, 
is interesting that amid this massive spike we saw in raw material costs, uh, I think, you know, we're still seeing U.S. steel producers with near record profits and some even projecting for record profits in the second quarter already um, with finished steel prices for, you know, sheet. Hot rolled coil, $1,500 a ton, rebar around $1,200 a ton. Um, the margins are still very healthy for them, even through this, um, what some would qu- qualify as a supply crisis, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's, uh, you know, I think they should have some cash on hand to make some investments to help insulate themselves from this moving forward. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, of any time where the need is the greatest and the uh, the opportunities at least available to them, yeah, you would you would expect so. Um, and uh, for a problem that's only going to likely stay the same or get worse as capacity ads come online. So yeah, agreed. Yeah, well, I think on that note, we'll we'll call it a day. So uh, thanks, Zach, for your time and um, your insight into the pig iron market. Is something we'll continue to to uh, track. Um, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, please uh, check out our other metal movers ones um, that we have on the markets. And for more information on pig iron and all of our other coverage, um, check out ArgusMedia.com. Thanks a lot. Thank you.